Israel asks for a king. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king will the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. He will take your daughters some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plough his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we shall be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it, before the Lord. The Lord answered, Listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, Everyone go back to your own town. May God bless this reading of his holy word. Now this morning after the, the fun of uh, Sports Sunday last week, we are returning to our series uh, thinking about the offices of Christ. 
uh, Jesus being a prophet, priest, and king. And as I said earlier, we've thought about the idea of prophet, and a few, week, a few weeks ago, uh, we thought about Samuel, uh, who was a prophet in Israel. And then a couple of weeks ago, Duncan led us through the idea of priesthood uh, and Melchizedek, uh, and Jesus who follows in the line of Melchizedek. And today we are thinking about uh, kingship. We're thinking about uh, a king. Uh, And God willing, we'll we'll return and think about these uh, offices next week, uh, and especially how they are bound up uh, in the Lord Jesus. Now, we have thought about prophet and we thought about priest, and in some ways, when we think about these things, uh, we might struggle to relate to them. Because commonly within the church, especially in our own denomination, we don't really have prophets, certainly not in the kind of Old Testament uh, sense. Uh, We don't really have uh, priests, certainly in our uh, tradition and denomination, but a king. That might be something that we have a bit more understanding of, or at least we have experience, don't we, of being under a sovereign. This year, of course, marks the platinum jubilee of our queen. She has reigned over us for 70 years. That's quite something, isn't it, when you think about us, think about it. And for, for a lot of us, she will be the only sovereign that we can remember. A lot of us will not remember King George VI. And most of us who are here today, you'll only have a vague memory of being under the reign of King George uh, VI. But because we have a a queen, we do have some understanding, don't we, of what a king or a queen does. We know that she is a leader. And if she came into West Kilbride today, into West Kilbride Parish Church, and she stood at the front here, she would be a wee bit wee, but she would stand at the front, you, you would stand... If she she greeted you, you would bow, or you would curtsy. I'm not going to show you a curtsy, because I don't think I'm able. You would show some some deference to her, wouldn't you? She is our queen. She is our sovereign. Now, of course, in our our polity, our queen is really just a, a figurehead, isn't she? She doesn't really have any real power, that power is, is vested in the prime minister and with the government. But we have some understanding of what a queen or a king would do. Now, how does this relate to the passage today? Well, in Israel, really from the time of Moses forward, they didn't have a king or a queen. They had a leader who was known as a judge, someone who led the people of Israel, people like Samson or people like Gideon. And it certainly wasn't perfect. The end of the book of Judges says that in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So it certainly wasn't perfect having these judges as leaders. Now, Today we find ourselves back in 1 Samuel, and we we saw a few weeks ago when we thought about Samuel as a prophet. 
And we saw in 1 Samuel 2 that Samuel was brought up in the temple under Eli the priest. And Eli was basically the leader of Israel. He was the judge in Israel for 40 years. But after Eli died at the ripe old age of 96, it was then Samuel's turn. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 15, that Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. Now, under the leadership of Samuel, things had gone relatively well in Israel. They'd gone well. They'd won battles. Things were okay. But then Samuel grew old, and he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. But sadly, this seems to be a case of history repeating itself. Do you remember Eli? Do you remember when we looked at at 1 Samuel 2 a few weeks ago? That Eli's sons were were no good. Indeed, it said in chapter 2, verse 12, that they were scoundrels. I think it's the only place in the Bible that talks about scoundrels. They were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. That was Eli's sons. And here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, what do we see? We see that Samuel's sons don't follow in the footsteps of their father. They go after dishonest gain, they accept bribes, and they pervert justice. They're no good either. And so when you see the elders of Israel coming to Samuel and saying, Samuel, we would like a king. You might think to yourself, well, that's a good thing. You know, please give them a king. Because look at Samuel's sons. They're up to no good. They pervert justice. They accept bribes. The reasoning seems good, doesn't it? As they come to Samuel and they say, you are old. Your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us. So it looks very reasonable what the Israelite elders are initially asking for. Certainly at a surface level. Give us a king. Your sons are no good. We want a king to to rule over us. But there's something very telling. I wonder if you noticed it at the end of verse 5. Because the Israelites want a king to lead them such as the other nations have. And that's the point. The crucial point. You see, the Israelites want to be like the other nations. They want to be like the Philistines or the Moabites who have a king. They want a king to go out before them in battle. You see, no longer do they want to be different because they are God's people. Instead, they just want to be like the nations around them. And so there's a sense here that as a nation, Israel just wants to fit in. A bit like sometimes how we can be guilty as individual Christians or as a church of simply wanting to to fit in with society rather than be different and be salt and light in a a needy world. You ever faced that situation when you've been at work? And people said, oh, what did you do at the weekend? I think, oh, I can't tell them that I went to church. What would they think of me, that I believe in God? 
I believe in Jesus as my Savior. What might they think? So you gloss over it. Oh, I went out for a walk and I spent some time with family. Sometimes we just say things because we just want to fit in. That's what Israel want today. Just want to fit in. Be like the nations around them. Now this request for a king displeases Samuel. Maybe uh, because it's a, a rejection of him. Or at least a, a rejection of his sons. But the key point is what the Lord says. Because the Lord says to Samuel, It's not you they have rejected. But they have rejected me as king. They've rejected me. You see, the Israelite elders want to be like the other nations around them. But the fact is, they are different. You see, they have a judge as their leader. Why? Because the Lord is their king. That's how it works in Israel at this time. He's the one who led them out of Egypt. Yes, Moses was their leader, but the Lord was the one who went before them in a pillar of smoke and in a pillar of fire at night. He's the one who gave them victory in battle. And so in asking for a king, the Israelites are rejecting the Lord, the only king that they should ever need. It's the Lord who's being rejected. And so Samuel shouldn't take it to heart that the Israelites have rejected him or indeed his sons, although they are dishonest. Because there's something greater, of more significance, that is happening here. Now, what's interesting in the midst of all this is that in spite of the Lord being rejected by the Israelites, the Lord allows the Israelites to have a king. That's remarkable, isn't it? When you think, why does the Lord let it happen? He says to Samuel to warn the Israelites as to what this will mean for them. You know, when you have a king, this is what's going to happen. That's why we have that, that long section that says, look, your sons will be sent out to war. Your, your, your daughters will, you know, be doing the baking and the whatever is going on. And, you know, a tenth of this is going to go to the, go to the king. Warn them. This is what a king will claim from you. But when they've been warned, and the Israelites still say, look, we still want a king. The Lord says to Samuel, listen to them and give them a king. Now, why would the Lord do that? They've rejected him as king. They're effectively wanting to put another king in his place. Why would the Lord allow this? That's quite a thought, isn't it? Well, it's a bit like the story of the prodigal son, isn't it? And if you're not seeing the connection, let me explain it to you. You see, in the story of the prodigal son, have you ever thought to yourself, right at the beginning of the story, and we know the story, don't we? Where there's two sons, and the younger son asks for his share of the inheritance now. Have you ever thought to yourself, why does the father not just say, look, you might want your share of the inheritance now, but I'm not going to give it to you. You ever thought about that? I happen to have two sons. If Alistair came to me as the younger son and said, Dad, I want half of the inheritance now, what do you think I would say to him? 
Now he's only seven, okay? So no way, okay? Not financially responsible at this moment. But say it was later down the line, say he was in his 20s, do you not think I would enter into discussion with him and say, look, son, what are you going to use that money for? Is this really the right thing to do just now? Or I might just say, look, you're just not getting it just now. It's not going to happen. But in the story of the prodigal son, the father just gives the younger son the money. That's quite something, isn't it? Why does the father do that? Well, is it not because the son had to experience being away from the father, being away from home, to understand what he truly had when he was at home? Is that not the case? You see, is it not true that when you reach an age to to move away from home for the first time, maybe to get a job or to get married or to go to university or college, and there's an excitement. Do you remember that time when you left home for the first time? You think, oh, brilliant, leaving home. I, I can do what I like, stay up as long as I want to. Wonderful. But then quickly the novelty wears off, doesn't it? When you realize, oh, I've got to buy my own food. I've got to pay my own bills. I've got to do my own washing. And you realize that being at home wasn't so bad after all. And that's kind of what's happening here. The Lord is saying to the Israelites, go on, have your king. Be like other nations. Experience what that's like. And you'll find it's no better than what you have now. That's what the Lord is saying. Indeed, if you look forward to what is the high point of the kingship in Israel, with King David and then Solomon, what do we see? That even in the time of Solomon, a heavy yoke was placed upon the people as they served him. And subsequent kings made that yoke heavier. Now, of course, where is all this going? How does this relate to kingship and Christ? Well, in the sovereign purposes of God, we know that there is one who is coming. One who is a prophet. One who is a priest one who is a king. And he will not be like earthly kings before. His kingdom is a heavenly one, not an earthly one. He is a king who comes as a servant king. And he comes to serve, not to be served. And this king's yoke is easy, and his burden is light. And you know, of course, this morning who this king is, don't you? We know that this is Jesus. Because Jesus is the true king. He's the one who will reign forever and ever. You see, in asking for a king, the people of Israel were rejecting the Lord. And when Jesus came on David's throne, in David's line, Remember that many also rejected him. And yet, he is the cornerstone. 
He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the King of Kings. He is the King that we need. You see, the Israelites were giving up the rule of God to instead be ruled by an earthly king. And in society today, people even within the church don't want to submit to Jesus as their king. They reject him. And say, I don't want anything to do with that. And so the question for us this morning, as we look at this passage, is do we reject God as our king? As the Israelites did. Do we reject Jesus as our king? Or do we submit to his authority, knowing that Jesus knows best, and he is the best king that we could ever, ever have? I say this often on a Sunday morning, but sometimes people think that being a Christian is boring. Sometimes people think that being a Christian spoils your fun. And yet when I look at a story like the one of the prodigal son, and he's away partying, and he's away doing whatever. That's fine for a time, isn't it? But when the problems come, when he runs out of money, when he's hungry, then he suddenly realizes that he's better at home. He's better with his father. And in our lives, there are times when we kind of live our freedom to the full, don't we? Times when we don't even think about God. But what about those times when the problems come? When the difficulties come? And they come for each one of us. What about those times? Will we still say, God, I don't need you? Will we still hold them at arm's length and say, not for me? Or will we come into the kingdom? we say, Jesus, I need you. And Jesus, I understand that you are a different kind of king because you are the servant king. You're the one who died on the cross for me, that I might be forgiven, that I might be set free, and that I might come into your kingdom, which is an everlasting kingdom. And you're a king who will reign forever. I want to tell you this morning, It's wonderful to be in that kingdom. It's wonderful to have Jesus as your king. You see, as we look around our world today, can leaders be trusted? Can they truly? There's some better than others, aren't there? But we see a lot of corruption in Russia, North Korea. Even our own leaders are not perfect. We know that, don't we? Therefore, we cannot trust our leaders here on earth. They'll get it wrong. But we can trust the Lord Jesus. He is our King. And He is the one who will bring us home to be with Him forever. So this morning, I want you to see how these Israelite elders asked for a king. It was a rejection of God. But in God's sovereign purposes, 
moving forward. It points towards Jesus. Jesus who came to earth, who is a different kind of king, who is the king that we need. Will you make him the Lord of your life today? Will you serve him? Because there is a day that is coming when before the Lord Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is so much richness in your word uh, today. And in many ways, we are uh, amazed, Lord God, that you let the Israelites have a king because it was a clear rejection of you. And yet, Lord God, we see how you're working things out in salvation history. That David would ascend to the throne and there would be a one who came in David's line who would establish that throne forever, the Lord Jesus. And we thank you that Jesus came as king, and yet he came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Heavenly Father, Jesus is the king that we need. We need Jesus to be king of our lives, And we pray, Heavenly Father, as we come before you this day, that we would be willing to bow the knee before him and confess that he is Lord. And Father, we would find the freedom that is found only in confessing Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Because we would know that no matter what happens in our lives, and the ups and the downs, that we are held firm and secure by him. And that, Lord God, as Jesus reigns and will reign forever, so we too will reign with him. So, Lord God, we ask that you would speak to us through your word this day we pray. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.